Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 8.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. Economic Indicators brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. Well, no economic indicators at 8.30 this morning. At 10 o'clock this morning, we get the JOLTS numbers. The problem with the JOLTS numbers, of course, is that they are somewhat stale at this point. They tell you about uh, job openings yeah, and labor but, turnover, but they're for the month of April. But, and, but uh, hey guys, well, look, we need to stop here. Why you? Let's be honest here, okay? Michael McKee, way out front on the signals and importance of the JOLTS numbers. And, Mike, the answer is they're like it's morning in America good. Am I right on that? Yeah, we're at record. Near, in March, we were at near record levels for job openings in the United States. The problem is is uh, the, the jobs weren't being filled because um, it appears uh, qualifications don't match up. But the question for the Fed is, does it continue? Do we see that kind of job opening level continue, and do we see the quit rate continue? If you are feeling better about the labor market, you're much more likely to quit your job and seek another one that pays more money. Janet Yellen talked about that on Monday. But she also talked about how uh, the, the momentum in the labor market seems to have slowed. So the question we'll be looking for this morning is, do we get any backup from that, from Joltz? Uh, Dean Mackey was at Point Seventy Two. He's chief economist at Point Seventy Two Asset Management, and he keeps a very close eye on the labor market. Uh, Dean, what what is your view of What's happening in labor? If you look at the Fed's labor market indicator index, which came out to not a lot of fanfare on a Monday, uh, our friend Ian Lacroix pointed out on uh, Bloomberg surveillance that it has crossed into negative territory. Momentum seems to have really slowed, but has it really? Well, certainly the if one looks at things like job growth, momentum did slow over the over the last couple of months. And I think that's really what that labor market conditions indicator is telling us. I don't think there's really a new message in that. We we already knew that on Friday that, that things had weakened. Uh so I think that's partly why markets don't pay a lot of attention to that that Fed indicator. Well, the uh, the labor market itself uh, turned in a, a rather dismal performance uh, last Friday. Do we see that continue, or are you in the camp that says there's something odd about that number and it's likely to be reversed somewhat? I don't think that's a signal that we're now going into an extremely weak job growth period. I think the, the telltale signs of that would be that jobless claims would be spiking if we were going into an extremely weak payroll period. We'd see things like the non-manufacturing ISM survey dependent uh, below 50, which it's not. And we wouldn't be seeing consumer spending picking up in the way that it, that it has so far in the second quarter. So I think it, you know, we have these ups and downs in job growth. Uh, this is one of those down periods, but I'm, I'm quite confident that in the third quarter things will pick back up again. Dean, you need to make a, do a victory lap. I don't know, you know, maybe Steve Cohen can give you one of his pieces of artwork, but you need to do a massive victory lap 
on your call to 4.0% unemployment rate. I literally have a chart, folks, on television that we call the Mackey chart. Dean, as we migrate down, you need to sell me, why is it a bad unemployment rate? Why are we so miserable at 4.7% unemployment? I think that one reason is that we aren't seeing tremendous wage gains at this point. You know, wage gains have, hourly earnings have picked up to two and a half percent, but by the standards of past cycles, that's, that's not all that impressive. So I think that's one of the reasons why people are saying, yes, unemployment's low, but, but it's not an extremely robust labor market. I think that we will continue to see those wage gains pick up as the unemployment rate keeps falling, and I continue to believe that unemployment rate is going to fall a lot, a lot faster than others believe. How fast, how far? I think we are going to drop close to 4% by the end of the year. We'll, we'll have a three-handle on the unemployment rate in 2017. And does that suggest Jesus. inflation then? Uh, is, in other words, is the Fed falling behind the curve if, if they don't get going here? Well, I think it's too early to say they're behind the curve now. You know, inflation's still below their objective. So that in a sense, the Fed wants to see a, a bit of a wage price spiral upwards at this point. And I, I do think they will get that. I think the, the real key is going to be, are they able to move in a gradual enough manner that, you know, once inflation's up to 2% or, yeah. or somewhat above it, do, are they able to but, keep it from continuing to accelerate beyond that? Dean, your comment of a three-handle on unemployment is a stunning half-century statement. Are those good jobs that drive us to that nirvana? Well, I think it's, it's as, as usual, it's a mix of, of good and high-paying and low-paying jobs. You know, it's, it's not possible for the economy to create all high-paying jobs. Okay, and, yeah, I get I that, but come on. The, the, the basic zeitgeist is we're, we're doing hamburger flippers is, is the basic zeitgeist. Yeah, I don't think the evidence really supports that. Certainly we are generating those kind of jobs, but when people have broken it up into high-paying and low-paying sectors, uh, in fact, the high-paying sectors are, are growing a bit faster than the lower-paying sectors. So, you know, there, there's a, it's mm -hmm. a big, broad economy, and there's lots of different yeah. types of jobs being created, but I don't see any evidence that it's particularly uh, low-paying job growth being created. We're going to dive into this with Dr. Mackey and get his view. As we'll take the Stanford economics and beat it out of him, Michael McKee. As we talk, these are huge statements that Dean Mack yeah. has made, and folks, I can't convey. He was really the first one I heard to say 4.0, and you just heard him. Our team just put it out threes. on Twitter, a three-handle on unemployment next year. That is an outlier call, much like Steve Major at HSBC's calling 1.50%. The yen stronger in the last 20 minutes through 107, 106.97 on yen. The euro, 113. 94 this morning. This hour of surveillance brought to you by BMW Mount Kisco. Visit BMWMountKisco.com. Here's John Tucker with the latest headlines. And Hillary Clinton solidified her position as presumptive Democratic presidential nominee with wins in four of six state primaries. Both Clinton and Donald Trump have now zeroed in on one another, with Clinton saying Trump is temperamentally unfit to be commander-in-chief. 
Trump blasted Clinton as the defender of what he called a rigged political system. And there's no doubt outgoing California Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer will be replaced by another Democrat. In a historic first, California voters sent two Democrats to a November runoff for the state's open U.S. Senate seat. A criminal complaint about a Takata airbag causing injuries in a crash has been filed in Japan, the first such case in the nation where the airbag maker is headquartered. And wild animals in South Africa's national parks being run over at an increasing rate. That's because growing numbers of tourists are speeding to cluster around big game after learning of the animal's location on mobile apps. The South African National Parks, whose Kruger Reserve is the size of Israel, is now exploring legal options to curtail the use of game-setting apps on smartphones. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker. Michael and Tom. John Tucker, thank you. Uh, now it's time for Land Rover Persephone Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushka. Good morning, Mike and Tom. The Yankees tee off at the Angels' expense for the second time in as many games. Swung on, hit high in the air to right field. Calhoun going back toward the line, toward the wall. She's gone. Now, we had heard that about Castro, that he hits well to right field. And that's exactly what he did. Star, light, star, bright. As Yankees radio is Castro homers in back-to-back games, as does Carlos Beltran. Yankees win it 6-3. to Michael Pineda, his third win. Andrew Miller, his seventh save. Game three of the four-game sets tonight when Nathan Uvalde hosts Jared Weaver. Mets lost both games of a twin bill in Pittsburgh by a 3-1 score. Stephen Matz and Jacob DeGrom were pinned with the loss. Curtis Granderson homered in the losing effort. Noah Syndergaard, he gets the nod tonight to try and avoid the sweep. Mets are three and a half back of Washington. NBA Finals, game three tonight at 9 o'clock from Cleveland. Warriors are up two games to none. Phil Jackson met the press on Tuesday, commenting on why he chose Jeff Hornacek to coach the Knicks. When I first made the call, was just right off the bat, a communication level that went wrong forward from there. So that comfort zone was possible, and I think the basketball knowledge that he has and the familiarity he has with uh, playing basketball are things that uh, attracted us. Well, Hornacek did win just 47% of the time while on the job three seasons for Phoenix. In soccer, the U.S. shut out Costa Rica 4-0 in Copa America play while Colombia edged Paraguay 2-1. And that is your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike and Tom. Uh, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, we're thrilled you're with us worldwide across this nation, across Canada. Bloomberg 1200 Boston, 99.1 FM, Washington and Baltimore. Bloomberg 1130 in gorgeous, perfect New York. And waking up in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, Bloomberg 960, good morning as well. Sirius and XM Channel 119, what a most interesting time. We could literally talk to Dean Mackey for three hours and not run out of things to say. What do you need to know? Yen stronger globally yields lower. The 10-year, 1.71%. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, Bloomberg Surveillance. The Sports Report was brought to you by Land Rover Parsippany. If it's in your nature to cast off the everyday and seek adventure, the Discovery Sport was built to help your search. Visit LandRoverParsippany.com or 1-800-FIND-4WD, Land Rover, above and beyond. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit SectorSPDRS.com or call 1-866-SECTOR-ETF. Bonds are rising with commodities and emerging markets on speculation. Central banks will persist with policies that support financial markets. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures are up four points this morning. Dow E-mini futures up 37. NASDAQ E-mini futures up about 11. The DAX in Germany is down four-tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury up 230 seconds. The yield 1.71 percent. Yield on the two-year 0.78 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 1.3 percent or 60. Seven cents to fifty one oh three a barrel. Comex gold up one point one percent or or up one percent now or thirteen dollars ten cents to twelve sixty ten an ounce. The euro a dollar thirteen eighty eight the N one oh six point nine six. Lululemon Athletica shares have turned around. They're up two point two percent now. It said sales in the first quarter rose seventeen percent and that beat analysts average estimates. That's a Bloomberg business flash, Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. June twenty third beckons. Our John Micklethwaite, Editor-in-Chief, in London, spoke with the Prime Minister, not Prime Minister Cameron, but Prime Minister Blair, on Brexit. I remember back in 2005, you went on what some people called the, the masochism strategy, where you went out there and let people, to some extent, attack you or ask you questions. Do, do you think he's done enough like that? Yeah, no, I think he, he's, he's fought the campaign you would expect from him and, and you'd want from him. I mean, there's nothing more he can do as Prime Minister. Um, and he's put himself out there, he's put the arguments out there, and you've, you've got to say he's taken a, a strong and clear position. And on the other side, Boris Johnson, has he gone too far? Do you think he's someone who's, who would be fit to be Prime Minister? Look, I think whether he's fit or not to be Prime Minister is not dependent on, on this vote. Um, but I find it, well, I find it, I, I just find it hard to understand how someone who's been a mayor of London can seriously think it's not going to be economically damaging if, if Britain leaves the European Union. And, you know, one of the things I find strange is when people say, look, I had to agonize over this decision, you know, I, I'm not quite sure, but now I've come down on the side of Remain. This is not one of those decisions. This is a decision which you should only be for Remain, if you're, uh, for Leave, rather, is if you're absolutely clear you know, if you're not clear, don't do it. And you're not convinced he is, really? Well, if you look back on some of the things he said in the past, it's indicated that he thinks it would be wrong for Britain to leave the European Union. So now he's, you know, frankly, the most out there campaigner of the Leave campaign. I, I, I think it's, it's a strange position to find yourself in. When you look at, you know, if you've been in government, and in a sense being Mayor of London, you're in some sort of situation of government, you know how big this decision is with its consequences. I mean, if Britain leaves, the day after you are going to get the beginnings of what will be a serious economic shock for the country. You, can't, you literally cannot dispute that because you will put then on the table your entire relationship with the European Union that's grown over four decades of interlocking trade agreements, um, service agreements. All of that is then got to be renegotiated or scrapped. And given that half our trade is with the European Union, how can you not think you're at least going to suffer several years of economic uncertainty? Tony Blair with John Micklethwaite. Uh, some of the energy there and the, the day-to-day debate of Remain and Brexit as well. Dean Mackey with us, 0.72. Dean, the backdrop of the 
political discussion in the United Kingdom is no different than any other nation which has subdued nominal GDP. Is everything in the Dean Mackey world nothing more than a rationalization of a, to a new terminal value, a new lower potential growth, and things that we need to get used to? Well, I think that there is a lot of that, and that's the backdrop everyone's trying to get used to here, is that we, we certainly see lower labor force growth in, in almost all major developed countries. We have seen very weak productivity growth as well. And you combine that with low inflation, and you know nominal GDP growth virtually everywhere is is weak, and that creates an environment that's uh, very different from the expansions of prior decades. And, and and I do think that both investors, policymakers, and and the public is getting used to trying to get used to that. Well, you hear members of the Federal Reserve, including the chair, say we're keeping monetary policy accommodative. And you hear politicians at least wringing their hands, if not uh, actually doing anything. Is there a solution to these issues? There's not an easy solution. And, you know, for example, I don't think that uh, labor force growth is suddenly going to pick up uh, absent, you know, a big increase in immigration, which seems off the table right now. Uh, productivity growth is not easy to make suddenly grow faster. There, there are policy uh, policy moves that can in the medium term perhaps raise productivity growth, but it's hard to see a quick solution that would make, you know, next quarter's productivity growth much faster. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, so I don't think that there's obvious, clear, near-term moves that will, will really help a lot. Well, to what extent does the Fed help now, or, or do they hurt? Uh, there's an argument that they should raise rates and that would be, we'd be better off. Well, I think the Fed really can't control the pace of potential real GDP growth. They, they don't have much to do with that. Uh, so all the Fed can do is try to hit their inflation target. And, and I think it's going to be quite interesting once the Fed does get to the 2% target and real GDP growth remains on the sluggish side, what, how the conversation shifts at that point. Because at that point, the Fed really has done what it can do. Do you believe that they have to establish a measured path? Or if they get challenging data, folks, I say this with yen, 106.96 in the German. Oh, German yields are actually up a little bit right now. But Dean Mackey, can they do one and done? Or do they have to establish a measured path if they decide to raise rates? Well, I think the problem with how they've conducted policy so far and, and sort of the strategy they've laid out is that everything needs to be looking up for them to raise rates. So the, the job numbers have to be looking up, the GDP numbers have to be looking up, the foreign growth numbers have to, the financial markets have to be looking good. And these things all go in cycles. So the probability of all of them moving in the right direction at the same time is, is actually quite low. So I do think that while there's not a, a big risk of delaying a meeting or two here or there, if they are delayed and, and don't do anything, for example, for the rest of the year, you do start to get into some risky territory where they may have to go faster down the line. Well, uh, do they have time to think about it? I mean, uh, they want to wait and see what the data tell them. Um, how much time do they have? 
Well, they, they do have time. So none of this, the, the way the economy works, none of this, you know, let's say that Fed did make a mistake. Um, it wouldn't be obvious for, for quite some time. It wouldn't be obvious this year, for example, that the Fed was falling behind. It would only become clear much later when inflation was starting to rise notably above target. It seems like kind of a remote concern right now, but eventually that would be the cost if, if the Fed goes too slowly. Well, when we have, um, a Fed funds rate that's at three or four percent, and inflation running two to three percent or a little bit above, uh, isn't that is that a different thing from one and a half percent inflation and fifty basis points for a Fed funds rate in terms of how much time you have and and how uh, wide the band is for making a mistake? I think that is what's leading to this kind of extreme risk aversion on the part of the Fed, is they are worried that if they make a mistake in the other direction and and tighten too quickly, uh, it's hard to provide stimulus. So that's why they are so sensitive to all of these different developments that I I spoke about earlier. Dean, thanks so much. Greatly appreciate it. Just congratulations again on your thinking, your theory of how we drive below 5% unemployment rate. You heard Dr. Mackey say there earlier, he begins to frame a 3.x unemployment rate, maybe out a year from now. Michael, that's extraordinary. I I can honestly say in decades of study, the miserableness of our labor America, given where we are right now, or even where Dr. Mackey thinks we're going to head, is just remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Well, it is an extraordinary time, and um, these are the debates that are being held at 20th and C Street in Washington. Yeah, um, very serious uh, debates as well. Uh, I got bad news, folks. Uh-oh. Tony Dwyer and Michael Welch have published their new equity outlook uh, at Canagord Genuity. Tony Dwyer, to lead with this sentence, Mike, what scares us the most? That's very un-Tony Dwyer. When we were asked this question earlier this week, our immediate answer was the high degree of conviction that S&P would rally 15 to 20 percent over the next six to 12 months. Even the optimists we talked to suggest that is far outside current consensus. So that gives us a level of conviction. Tony Dwyer, uh, just looking at how cautious people are. Say the least. I mean, there it is. Yeah. We'll have much more. We'll get Anthony Dwyer on to expand on his new market strategy outlook. He's been very good with the Dow 17,938. The S&P 500, I'm surprised. I, I thought 2000. 2112 on the S&P 500 with a VIX like 13.82. The VIX trading now, 30 minutes to the market open in by 0.23 points on Nirvanic 13. On the VIX, the yen under 107, stronger yen, 106.95. Another hour of Bloomberg surveillance.